Let's stand for the reading of the scriptures tonight. I want to thank Pastor Brinkman for being here, Mrs. Brinkman for bringing the wonderful message. Hope you'll pray for the country of New Zealand, and uh, we're praying the Lord will use them greatly. I'm looking forward to preaching there again and helping them reach folks for Christ. We helped them print some tracts up in Chinese that has uh, Community Baptist Church on it, and it's the same same format we use, and he's used that just to try to reach Chinese people for the gospel, and we're thankful for that. Second Samuel this evening, Second Samuel chapter 3. And we're going to be in chapters 2 and 3 predominantly tonight. But I want you to go to 2 Samuel 3. Look around you. We have some guests and visitors. If someone next to you doesn't have a Bible for whatever reason, if you'd be kind enough to share your Bible with them. Or if they only have a New Testament, if you can share your Bible with them so they're in the Old Testament, that will be a blessing. 2 Samuel 3. Scroll down with me to verse 6. 2 Samuel 3. It came to pass while there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David that Abner made himself strong for the house of Saul. Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah. And Ishbosheth said to Abner, Wherefore hast thou gone in unto my father's concubine? Then was Abner very wroth for the words of Ishbosheth, and he said, Am I a dog's head which against Judah do show kindness as they unto the house of Saul thy father, and to his brethren, and to his friends, and have not delivered thee into the hand of David, that the charges me today with a fault concerning this woman? So do God to Abner, and more so also, except as the Lord has sworn to David, even so I do to him, to translate the kingdom from the house of Saul, and to set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah, from Dan even to Bathsheba. Now go down with verse 17 with me, if you would, please. And Abner had communication with the elders of Israel, saying, You sought for David in times past to be king over you. Now then do it. For the Lord has spoken of David, saying, By the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel out of the hand of the Philistines and out of the hand of all their enemies. And Abner also spake in the ears of Benjamin. And Abner went also to speak in the ears of David and Hebron, all that seemed good to Israel and all that seemed good to the whole house of Benjamin. So Abner came to David to Hebron and 20 men with him. And David made Abner and the men that were with him a feast. And Abner said unto David, I will arise and go and will gather all Israel unto my lord the king, that they may make a league with thee, and that thou mayest reign over all that thy heart desireth. And David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. I'm going to preach a message tonight, kind of a character study we want to see. We're in our study through 2 Samuel. The king has come. David's on his throne. And we're going to see some very, very interesting character studies as we go through the book of 2 Samuel. Character studies that will inspire us. Character studies that put a warning in the roadway before us. And tonight we want to see a, a story about a man who got it right. Before his life was over. And just it's a reminder to us. That sometimes as we go along the way. We can be very stubborn about our ways. And stuck in our ways. And yet when we get it right before the Lord. It's never too late. We're praying this evening. God will speak to our hearts about the life of a man by the name of Abner. Father thank you tonight. Our hearts are already have been blessed. As David said in Psalms 23. Our cup is overflowed tonight. With what we've heard about the country New Zealand. God, we pray for New Zealand tonight. We pray for souls to be saved. We pray for many more churches to be planted and started. We pray for the diverse makeup of people there and now being a country of a large number of immigrants going there. 
We pray for the winning of souls, establishing churches. We pray that you continue to embolden and empower Pastor and Mrs. Brinkman. God, give them strength. The Bible says, as thy day, so shall thy strength be. And make your face to shine upon this good preacher and this missionary and his wife. Use them greatly, Lord, in winning that, 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 that nation to Christ. Use them greatly in their area, Lord, in winning more souls to Christ. And that even as they get energized from being back here in the States, that, that Lord, great things will happen there in the country of New Zealand. Father, we pray for our, 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 uh, our members and attendees who are on vacation traveling. God, we pray for safety and journeys, mercies upon them. We pray that you bring every one of them back safely in the ensuing days. Some will be going on vacation in the next few days. We pray that you protect them. We pray, God, this summer would be a fruitful summer for Heritage Baptist Church. We pray for it be a summer where, God, great things will happen and souls will be saved and people added to the church and baptisms will occur. And we pray, Lord, that even during the summer, before the summer's over, we'll be able to break ground on this, on this new building. Father, we pray for the pledges that need, still need to come in, that you'd bless, that uh, our people's hearts would be continued to be motivated and moved for getting this building constructed and paid off. And we pray that you meet all the needs. Tonight, as we assemble here and some are watching by live stream, Lord, we need you, and I need you desperately tonight. Father, I pray that you stir up the gift that's in me that was given to me by the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Father, I pray tonight that the Spirit of God would come fresh upon 2960 Mercedes in this Heritage Center and upon our children's program going on right now for the Patch to Pirate and Peavy the Pirate programs. Father, we need to hear from God. Lord, we need a fresh word from you. We need our hearts prepared, that the soul of our hearts be ready and prepared to receive the engrafted word which is able to save souls. Cleanse us tonight from all filthiness of the flesh and superfluity of naughtiness. God, we pray tonight that you'll enable me and help me, Lord, to instruct your people and build them up in the word of your grace. And we ask tonight that the word of Christ would dwell in us richly in all wisdom. May we go home tonight feeling like, Lord, that God, we've been touched and we've been moved. And Lord, that our hearts are stirred about our lives and, and the choices that Abner made and the choices we need to make tonight. Father, bless our congregation. Thank you for a wonderful congregation. Love our people. And I hear you, God, that your love would be felt and shed abroad tonight in every heart. Bless our time together, we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Tonight, we're looking at a character that's often overlooked and seldom preached about. I don't know in your time as a Christian if you've heard any message preached on Adder. And quite honestly, I think maybe I've only heard one in 45 years as a Christian. That doesn't mean that the preachers or church you went to ignored him. But he's just not one of those characters that pops up on your radar screen, your thought life that you that you think about. But there's so many things about Adder we want to see in these next few minutes that I pray will be a blessing to you. I want to preach you a message tonight as we consider Abner. His name means my father is a lamp or the father of lights. And I want you to see tonight how Abner points a light. He, his, his life points a pathway for us. The Bible says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And I want to preach you a message tonight entitled, follow the light or getting it right before it's too late. Would you notice some things about Abner with me because of time this evening? Number one, would you consider with me that Abner was an advantage director? Abner was the captain of the host of Saul. Abner was a man who was very privileged as someone who was a leader in the nation of Israel. Go back with me, and if you don't have your notes, look with me some scriptures tonight. Again, we're doing a Bible study, character study, on the man by the name of Abner. 1 Samuel 14.50 tells us he was associated by family. He was the cousin of Saul. And because of that, by default, Saul, when he became king, the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel 14, verse 50... 
that he appointed Abner as captain, if you would, in charge of the entire military. The Bible says, And the name of Saul's wife was Ahinoam, the daughter of Ahimeaz, and the name of the captain of his host was Abner, the son of Ner, Saul's uncle. Just by default... By, by favor of family, he received position and rank. Now, we don't know anything about Adder, whether he was a, whether he was a military genius. We don't know if he had proven himself in battle. We do know that the, the Benjamites were proven men. They were, they were very expert men in war. We know at one time the Benjamites, who were left-handed men, were very skilled. They could hurl stones with their left hand. They could hurl spears with their left hand. They were very expert in what they did. We don't know because he was descended of the Benjamites if he was such. But we do know one thing. He was privileged according to position and rank. He was associated by family. We notice something else. If you go to 1 Samuel 17, 11, he was assorted in his faults. Now, as we consider this man and we consider the fact that he was a military genius, there's some glaring things and some faults about this man, an assortment of them that kind of stand out about this man as you look at him. Notice, first of all, in 1 Samuel 17, 11, he lacked bravery in facing Goliath. Uh, Goliath had challenged all the nation of Israel. Saul was king over Israel. Saul led the people to battle. They were separated by the valley of Elah, Israel on one side and the Philistines on the other. And the Philistines, of course, as descendants of the Canaanites, and uh, they, they had great giants of men. And probably the most boastful of their giants was a giant by the name of Goliath. And we've heard many stories about him. And we've preached many messages about Goliath. And Goliath, of course, was very boisterous. And he came out representing the, the nation of the Philistines. And he came out and he says, send me your best man. And whoever that man is we will go to battle and uh, if if he beats me we will be your servants but if i beat you you'll be my servants and the bible tells us in first samuel 17 verse 11 when saul and all israel heard those words of the philistine they were dismayed and greatly afraid now i don't know if you ever saw read this but when you read that you think of saul immediately but when you think of saul you have to think about where was the captain of his host? Where were the brave men? Where were the men of courage? Where were some men of conviction that would stand up against that giant? And there were none in that army that dared to stand out and face this giant, including this man, Abner. He lacked bravery facing Goliath. He was assorted in his faults. We see something else, and we go down a little bit further in 1 Samuel 17 again. Notice verse 55. He not only was lacking bravery facing Goliath, but notice he lacked brilliance in discerning David. Uh, David comes to the camp. David was not in the army of Saul. He was just a young strapling of a kid. He was about 16, 17 years old. And his mission coming down there was to deliver cheese and bread and, and some, some things to refresh his brothers who were in Saul's army. As he was there, you can imagine this kid in his sandals. He's not in army gear. He's in his, he's in his shepherd's clothing. He comes out there to deliver this. And he hears the giant come out that morning with his boisterous words. And he's thinking, man, I know my brothers are going to take the challenge on. I know Abner's going to take the challenge on. I definitely know my King Saul is going to take the challenge off. And he saw the fear in the eyes of all the men of Israel. All the men of Israel had backed off. And he looked at them and he says, what's going on there? Is there not a cause? David accepts the challenge. He goes out and faces the giant. He goes by faith and in the power of God. You know the story there that God used him to take a sling and one stone of five stones he picked up outside of the brook there. And with one stone sling, he threw it. And the stone made his mark right in the forehead of Goliath and knocked him backwards and killed him. Just to make sure the giant was dead, he took the sword out of the sheath that Goliath had. And he took that sword and beheaded the giant. And as he did so, he grabbed the giant by the hand. And he held the head high in the sky so everyone could see that their champion had been defeated. 
Well, later on, Saul said, well, who is this youth? Whose son is that? Whose son is that? And so uh, Abner goes out to find him out. And he's, he's asked this question. Notice Abner's response to, 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 um, to Saul. And when Saul saw David go forth against the Philistine, he said unto Abner, the captain, now, the captain of the host was supposed to know who everybody was. He was supposed to know who was that young man that went onto the battlefield. And by the way, they had just spoken with him and he tried on Saul's armor and he figured out, hey, I can't wear these, I can't go with these because I've not proven them. And, and, and all along the way, I don't know why, but neither of them asked what his name was. And the Bible says here in verse 55, when Saul saw David go forth against the Philistine, he said unto Abner, the captain of the host, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as thy soul liveth, O king, I cannot tell. He lacked brilliance in discerning who David was. Here's the captain, the host. He lacked bravery concerning Goliath. He lacked bravery concerning, he lacked brilliance concerning David. But we see something else there. Notice in chapter 26 of 1 Samuel. In 1 Samuel 26 verses 15 to 16, several months ago I preached a message about this where David and, and, uh, one of, an Abishai went down to where, where, where Saul was camped down and Saul was sleeping and Abner right by him and they were sleeping and they, David could have killed Saul right there on the spot and instead he took his spear and his bolster and, his, and he took his, 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 his canteen and he walked away there. I want you to notice something else about his faults. Abner was lacked a burden for Saul's safety when he should have been awake, when he should have been watching over the safety and the care and the welfare of the king. Instead, he was sleeping like all the other men. Notice what the Bible says there. And David said to Abner, Art not thou a valiant man? And who is like to thee in all of Israel? Wherefore then hast thou not kept thy lord the king? For there came one of the prophet, uh, one of the people, and to destroy the king thy lord. Notice verse 16. This is said by David. The thing is not good that thou hast done, as the Lord liveth. Ye are worthy to die, because ye have not kept your master, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is, and the cruise of water that was at his bolster. Oh, listen, we look at this man by, by the name of Abner, and we see him a sword in his faults. And yet, in spite of all those things, in spite of the fact that he lacked bravery, in spite of the lack he lacked, in spite of the fact that he lacked brilliance, in spite of the fact that he lacked, uh, he lacked, if you would, uh, uh, just this, this burden for Saul, he had this privilege of being the captain. They overlooked all those things. His association gave him the favor of numerous reprieves. He was forgiven. He was overlooked. And hey, this man, Abner, he, he experienced mercy over and over again. Here was a man who was a sword in his faults, and yet none of those faults that he had cost him his position as a captain. His advantage as a director. Notice something else. As we get to chapter 31, we see a man who was, who was, uh, who was associated because of family. We see a man who was a sword in his falls. We see something else that's glaringly, uh, 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 just bothersome about this man after. He was absent among the fallen. We go to 1 Samuel verse, uh, chapter 31, that very last chapter there. And of course, we know the story that Saul and his sons went to battle on Mount Gilboa against, uh, against the Philistines. And they, they trembled because the host of Philistines was much greater. Saul was out of the will of God. And as he led his sons and the, the nation of Israel to battle, they suffered a humiliating defeat, a terrible defeat. We saw that story there where Saul, he'd been mortally wounded, and he asked his, his armor bearer to thrust a sword through him, and his armor bearer would not do it. So Saul took his own sword, and he thrust a sword through himself and killed himself. And Saul and his three sons were, that went to battle were all killed on the battlefield. The question you have to ask as you go through that story there, we read about that all of Israel saw that the king was defeated and they were losing. All of Israel that was on the battlefield, the Bible says they fled. Among all those who fled, who were absent from the fallen, was Abner. What an interesting man. 
Here was a man, the captain of the host. He had privileges. He had opportunities of getting fame. He had all these different things. But we see a man that the only reason why he was a captain, the only reason why he was a general, the only reason why he held a position, the only reason why he had privileges is because he was associated because of family. We see a man who is an advantaged director. But notice something else. We go to the first, second Samuel chapter two this evening. And we want to look at, as we look at second Samuel two. Beneath the surface. The actual biography of this man by the name of Abner. We saw a man that was advantaged as a director. Notice secondly, notice his angry disappointment. I want you to go to 2 Samuel 2, and I want you to understand Saul is dead, and his three sons are dead, including among those three was Jonathan. For 40 years, Abner has served Saul. He's been blinded and said, this is the man, this is the king. He was there when Saul made some glaring mistakes. He was there when Saul was made, just got out of fellowship with God. He was there when he rebelled against the Lord. He saw all of those faults. And yet, in spite of that, he knew, hey, I'm in this position because Saul put me there. For 40 years, he followed a king who was not God's choice. For 40 years, he followed a king whom God had disqualified. Now, Saul has been killed on the battlefield. And Abner is in a very nervous position. Abner has run from the battlefield. He's not there. He's among those who fled, not among those who have fallen. He's not there. Now, while he's away, the men of Judah come to David and the men of Judah says, well, you know, we, the king is dead now and we know that God has his hand upon you. We already know that you were anointed by Samuel years ago, 40 years before. And so those men come 13 years before and they come to David and the Bible says the men of Judah there in Hebron, they anointed David king over all of Judah. That's the first, second Samuel chapter two. And you've got to put yourself in, in Abner's position. Abner now is very nervous because he realizes that Saul has been a foe to David during all that time. And Abner's not really quick in his mind of thinking, I'm going to pledge all my loyalty that moment of time to David. He's thinking, David still is my foe and the house of Saul is still, still should be on the throne. And he's thinking, well, you know, Saul still has some, some sons here. And so notice some things he does. He's not deciding in his heart that David is king. He's not deciding in his heart that David really is the rightful king. He's not really deciding in his heart. He's still following a failed monarchy, a failed king, if you want. And so notice as we go down to 2 Samuel 2, we see Abner desperate in his appointment. Go with me to verse 8, if you would, please. 2 Samuel 2. But Abner, the son of Ner, captain of Saul's host, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, brought him over to Mahanaim. He made him king over Gilead and over the Asherites and over Jezreel and over Ephraim and over Benjamin and over all Israel. Isn't that kind of interesting? He just took his privileged position. He was feared. He was revered. Nobody would question the fact that really he abandoned Saul on the battlefield. That's treachery. That's abandonment. That's betrayal. Nobody would dare question that. And if you went for just a moment of time, you're in a situation where really the military's in control. And here's this man, Admiral, he's saying, well, you know, we've got to have a king here. And so he goes up here and he does what I call, he's very desperate. Because he knows that, it, that he's in a vulnerable position, but he knows how kings think. And he's thinking, well, David's going to kill me. David wasn't going to kill him. David would want his loyalty first, but David wasn't planning to kill him. 
And he's desperate in his appointment. He takes the son by the name of Ishbosheth. Now you have to understand Ishbosheth. Write this down. Ishbosheth, his name means man of shame. He was a man of shame who had no shame about his life. He had no shame about his lifestyle. He had no shame where he was. He was not anywhere near Saul's radar screen as being a future appointed king. But by the way kings, uh, the way the monarchies would go, the next descendant would be a son. And Abner just decided, I'm going to take Ishbosheth and I'm going to make him king. And notice verse 9, he made him king over Gilead, and over the Asherites, and over Jezreel, and over Ephraim, and over Benjamin, and over all Israel. And Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel, and he reigned two years. Listen, Ishbosheth in his own power could not have become king. He had to have Abner's help. Watch this now. Watch this now. Abner is more concerned about being demoted than he is about being devoted. Abner gets a puppet king, someone he can control and manipulate. He's more concerned about honor than he is about humility. He's more concerned about rank than he is about righteousness. Ishbosheth is a weak king. Ishbosheth is a worldly king. Ishbosheth was a shameful king. He was a puppet king. Hissing, and it's out of his own foolishness of his heart, he makes Ishbosheth the king. But wait, 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 wait. Before we get too hard on Abner, before we rip on Abner and his choice, how about us as Christians? How about us as Christians? How many of us have an Ishbosheth that we've put on the throne where Jesus Christ should be rightly on the throne, but instead we've got our own Ishbosheth that we've established here. We've got all this competition and uh, we, we need to be truthful. We know that Jesus is God and we say meant Jesus is Lord and we say meant that Jesus is God and we say meant Jesus is King. By the way, He is King and He is Lord and He is God. Amen. But let's be truthful tonight. Who's Lord of your life? Who sits on the throne? Who's Lord of your days? And who's Lord of your career? Who's Lord of your schedule? And who's Lord of your time? Who's Lord concerning your choice in education? Who's Lord concerning the dedication of your life? Does Jesus have full control of your life? Or you're kind of a split personality that on Sundays, Jesus has everything as according to Sunday. But from Monday through Saturday, you've got an Ishbosheth on the throne who's really in control of things. Let's be honest. It was desperate in his appointment. I see a student going to school and doing very well, getting straight A's and doing well. And then they fail in one class. The failure might be they get a B or B minus on a class. And they become very concerned about their bad grade and thinking, I won't make it to this prestigious university or I may not be able to graduate my major. And they become desperate in their attempt. As they become desperate in their attempt, what they immediately do is they say, well, I've got to cut out church. I can't come on Sunday nights. I can't come Wednesday nights to get built in the Word of God. God understands. And they start cutting back and cutting out and cutting back and cutting out. And they become desperate in the attempt because the Ishbosheth, they've set up education is taking precedent over the God of all creation. I, I see, I see professionals and people working, and we have hardworking people. And brother, brother Brinkman, we've got probably some of the hardest working people you'll find anywhere on planet Earth here in, in Heritage Baptist Church. We got people here that I know some of our folks are putting 12, 15, sometimes 16, 17 hours a day. I know some of our people are on awkward schedules and they work swing shifts and all these things. And we've got some hardworking people and it's very expensive. I understand here they live here in the Bay Area to make ends meet. And, and a lot of our folks now over these last 18 years, many of our folks just started out, had little kids now. Their kids are in college and college education. We're just talking about that today. College education in a public sector here is very, very expensive there. I mean, you're talking about some schools between 40 to 70, 80, some $100,000 a year to go to school here and some of their kids 
kids have aspirations of going on to professional school. And more power to you. Praise the Lord for that. But here's what happens. I see a professional person. I see someone very active in serving the Lord. But when the financial pressures mount up, and you see that they said the red signs and the, and the dollar signals, we get concerned and worried about the debt and all those types of things. And all of a sudden, we, de- we decide, I've got to take care of this debt. I've got to take care of this financial obligation. Instead of praying and saying, God, what do you want me to do? We cut back out of these things. We, we put the Lord secondary in what we're doing. And really what we're saying is our job and our finances and our work and our worldly career and all those things, that has more pressing over life. Really, we've set up an Eshbosheth on the throne. We're desperate in our appointment. We live in a beautiful area of the world in the Bay Area. We have guests come in. I like to show them things as postcards don't show you. A wonderful place for people to come and tour. Beautiful things to do. Think of all the recreation. Think of all the activities you can do. But the truth of the matter, you get an average Sunday and listen, the Ishbosheth of sports and the Ishbosheth of travel and the Ishbosheth of our hobbies, the Ishbosheth of trying to, to meet the demands of this and compete with that and compete with that, that has more lordship in our lives than the Lord does. We see a man who's desperate in his appointment. But notice something else. He's confident now. He now has his own king on the throne. He has his, he has his king against David and he's put Ishbosheth on the throne. He's thinking, well, you know what? Ishbosheth is not going to buck me and Ishbosheth is not going to bother me because as long as I have him on the throne, he's in control of things. So notice we see uh, this, this man, Adam, becoming cocky and very confident in his mindset. And we see a man who's defiant in his attempts. Notice in verses 12 to 31, we see two defiant attempts that glaringly pierce our hearts. The first is Joab, who's the general for David's host, comes at a certain waterway. And Abner decides he's going to meet him. Now remember, Abner had run from the battlefield when Saul was fallen. And now he's trying to recalibrate the Saul's army, the Benjamites, if you would, the rest of Israel that had not pledged over to David. And he sees Joab there at this water when he wants to challenge it. Joab's not, you study the passage carefully, Joab is not the one that issues the challenge, it's Abner who issues the challenge. He's defined in his tap, and he sees Joab as a competitor, and he wants to prove a point to all of Israel that he's better than Joab, he's better than David, and so he challenges Joab to fight. He arrogantly challenges Joab, and you know the story there. Abner and his men suffer a horrible, humiliating defeat. Joab lost some men, but not as many as Abner and his men. He was so defiant, he wanted to prove, I'm right. He was so stubborn, he was saying, I'm right. I'm going to win this battle, whether I think so or not. He said, I'm going to do it. And you know, along the way, he was so reckless with his stubbornness. This is what I'm going to say tonight. He was so reckless in his stubbornness, he put the lives of other people at risk because he was so stubborn. Now, you folks have been around a little bit like me. You watch some stubborn people along the way. Stubborn people get stuck in their ways. They don't really care about who they put at risk as long as they can prove that they're right. 
There was a second challenge. Going a little bit further. Asahel has been defeated again. Asahel's on the run. Now, you got to bear in mind, Asahel is, a, is, a, is an experienced soldier. I don't want you thinking he's wimpy. I don't want you thinking that he's not strong. He's a soldier. He can defend himself. He can take care of himself. Some, some commentators describe him as being very barrel-chested and very strong and so forth there. And he's running. He's realized, hey, I got whipped. I can't stay here. And, and Joab's got the, got the edge on this. He's running. And he looks behind him and hears, this, 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 he hears somebody running after him. And he knows it's not somebody that's slow, it's somebody very fast. And it happens to be Joab's younger brother, Asahel. Now, we're going to talk more about Asahel, Lord willing, next Sunday. And Asahel's described as being very fleet-footed. He was fast as a gazelle. That's how he's described. He's a very fast runner. And Asahel looks at Abner and he says, you know, this is my chance. I'm the youngest of the brothers. Abishai's proven himself. He says, Joab's proven himself. Those are my older brothers. I'm the youngest one, but I'm the fast of them. Some commentators place Asahel around 20, 21 years of age. And Asahel was well known among all of David's men as being a very fast moving man. And so he takes upon himself without anybody's help, without asking anybody for permission, out of his courage and bravery, he starts chasing after, after Abner. And he's running after Abner. And Ab, he's catching with Abner. And Abner turns around, he could hear this running behind him. And he looks at Asael, he says, why are you pursuing after me? He says, you need to, don't, do you need to leave me alone? He says, you're going to get hurt, son, leave me alone. And the Bible says about Asael, he turned not to his right hand, to his left. In other words, he was focused immensely just right on, on, on capturing Abner. And he said, son, you need to go away, you're going to get hurt, you're going to get hurt. And Asael just kept on running after him and chasing after him. And he could feel the pressure of Asael. And so Abner's thinking along the way, I've got to find a way to stop this young man from following me because, because I, I'm not going to be humiliated. But at the same time, he didn't want to face Joab again because he realized if he killed Asahel, he'd have to face Joab. But Asahel was coming after him. And Asahel had one thing in mind. I'm going to take this man down and I'm going to capture him. If I can't bring him in alive, I'm going to kill him. And as Asahel was catching up, we don't know exactly how he did it. But I imagine that probably, probably Abner was thinking in his mind as he's running about how he's going to just defend himself. And as he did so, the Bible says he took the, the back end of his spear and he somehow he thrust it into, into Asahel. Now, we don't know if he turned around and he thrust it. It really doesn't matter how he did it. But he did some kind of a military move on him as he did so. Asahel was going so fast. He was running so hard. He never saw the spear coming at him, the back end of the spear. And as he did so, he literally ran into the spear and he came with such a uh, uh, swiftness and speed, the spear went right through the bottom underneath his fifth rib, and the Bible says it pierced and went right through him, and he basically killed Asahel. Watch this. Abner's like a lot of us as Christians. The Holy Spirit is running and trying to get our attention. We're running from the voice of God. We're running. We're trying to ignore our conscience. We're ignoring the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And Asahel, if you would, it reminds me of the Holy Spirit of God who's running after us and trying to get our attention. He's trying to get closer to get a hold of us. And instead of listening to the Spirit's beckoning call, instead of saying, yes, Lord, and saying, Lord, I know I'm wrong. Yes, Lord, I'm stubborn. Yes, Lord, I've gone the wrong way. Yes, Lord, I've, I followed the wrong king. I've got an Ishmael on the throne. Instead, we turn around and we thrust something into the Spirit and we quench the Spirit or we kill the Spirit. We kill the momentum that's going on. You can picture with me, here's a young person sitting in a service in a missionary like Paul Brinkman's preaching away and giving a call. The, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. And you can see a young person who has a great desire and they're the heart that God's speaking to them, but they quench the spirit. They kill the spirit by saying, I'm not going. Hey, listen, many Christians quench the spirit when we're not giving thanks. I'm going to tell you this evening, brother, brother, sister Christ, the Bible tells us that in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. It is God's will for every Christian. 
Christian to have a thankful spirit, to have a grateful spirit, to be overflowing with thankfulness. And when we don't have thankfulness, the opposite of a thankful spirit is a critical spirit. Did you know tonight, as you read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, a critical spirit is one of those things that quenches the spirit of God. Did you know tonight that the Bible admonishes there'll be a future message coming up in our series on prayer. The Bible admonishes that we're not to we're not to quench not the spirit, spirit because we're to pray without ceasing. We're to constantly be in this mode of praying, ready to pray, ready to meet with God and talk with the Lord. He says, pray without ceasing to always be in the spirit of prayer and expectation that you're always in the audience of God. But listen, when we go long periods of time without praying, when our praying has words and no heart, when our praying gets to a place where there's vain repetition where we've not been in prayer and basically we've emaciated our soul by being away from the place of prayer, we have quenched or killed the Spirit of God. That same passage of Scripture tells us despise not prophecies. I don't know about you, but I need preaching. I need to be under a lot of preaching. I need preaching for my soul. I need preaching to awaken me. I need preaching to alert me. Listen, it doesn't matter whether the preacher's soft or whether he's loud. And I'll be honest with you. If I had Brother Rick Martin come today to preach you, listen, Brother Rick Martin's probably the meekest, probably one of those quietest preachers you'll hear anywhere. But I'll tell you, I've never heard Rick Martin preach where I didn't, God didn't put some tears in my eyes. And sometimes we've got this figure in our mind that we've got to have a preacher that's got that fits this profile. Listen this evening, we're despised, not prophesying. We're not to be worrying about who the messenger is. We're to be listening about the message. And we say, not today. We're, we're, like, we're like Herod Agrippa says, almost persuaded, but not today. We've quenched the Spirit of God. And I can see Abner running and the spirit of, you can see Asael advancing on him, trying to catch him, trying to get his attention. And many of us are like Abner, we're running from God, we're running from being holy, we're running from having a prayer life, we're running from having a devotion life, we're running from being right with God, we're running from being obedient to God, we're running from having a spirit of forgiveness towards other people, we're running from our commitment to keeping our pledges for an offer Jesus offer, whatever it may be, we're running and the spirit's trying to catch up with us and God may bring a choice servant to the pulpit because maybe the pastor's words are falling on deaf ears and God brings a choice serving and the spirit of god is getting closer and closer and closer but we're like adam we take the spear in our hand instead of using it for the benefit of god's glory we turn around we thrust it through and we kill the spirit's momentum there i'll tell you tonight brother brethren brother sister christ as the summer goes on we're not going to have a dead summer in church we need to get on fire for god amen hey listen you need you need to wake up on saturday morning say great god bless god saturday morning let's go so many we need to wake up on monday morning say bless god it's a new week i'm going to get some co-workers on my heart and i'm going to get them to church by sunday you need to get up on Sunday, Monday morning and say, listen, it's a new day. I've got a new prayer list. I've got five or six more people to pray for. I'm going to pray for God to do some great things. Listen, you start every week to say, I'm going to be on fire for God. I'm excited about living for Jesus. It might be my last week on planet Earth. And if it is, I want it to be the best week I ever gave to the Lord. Oh, this man, he Abner. Desperate in his appointment. Defiant in his attempts. Go with me to chapter 3. We see something else which leads to, helps us understand his angry disappointment. You see, deep down inside, Abner was a disappointed man. Saul had failed him. By the way, when you have the wrong king, the wrong king will always fail you. Huh? And deep down in the back of his mind, he was thinking, for 40 years I've been following the wrong king. He puts his puppy king on the throne who only lasts for two years, Ishbosheth. You get to chapter 3, notice 
there's a demoralizing accusation. We just read it. Abner comes back to the host of Israel, humbled and humiliated again. He has to give account for the body, the bodies that he didn't come back with, men that were killed on the field. He's not sure what to do. And I'll be honest with you, Abner was more in control than Ishbosheth was in control. Abner was pulling the strings. Abner was making the critical decisions of that nation there. And the Bible tells us that Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah. And we don't know really the story behind this, but Ishbosheth was a very insecure king. He was a man of shame. And he accuses, and I, I believe as I read the scriptures, I believe he falsely accuses Abner of having improper relations with this concubine. Now you've got to understand something. I don't care what culture you're in. When, when, when you have an improper relationship with someone of the opposite gender, that becomes a very scandalizing event. It becomes public news that can drag you down the mud and destroy you. By the way, let me just say for the men in the church, keep your lives clean. I said keep your lives clean. Ladies too. The horror of a scandal. The humiliation of a scandal. Nisbosheth makes this statement. He says, you have had improper relation. Now remember, his name means man is shame. It meant nothing to Ishbosheth to say something of that nature. He knew I can't militarily beat Abner. He knew physically I can't beat Abner. He says, I'm not as brilliant as Abner. I'm not as smart as Abner. But I could do one thing. I could say something that's disparaging that can bring him down. By the way, gossip can bring people down. Disparaging statements can destroy a church. Disparaging statements can destroy a body of Christ. Abner didn't see this coming. He had no idea. This is his puppet king. Abner's a victim of demoralizing accusation. He's angry with Ishbosheth. He's upset. And he's realizing now it's 41, almost 42 years now. He's been following the wrong kings. He's had the wrong people on the throne. And this demoralizing accusation works in his heart. He's angry and he's upset. Notice we see this man, Abner. We see a man who was an advantaged director. We see Abner in his angry disappointment. But notice something happens, which is really at the tail end of Abner's life now. Notice Abner's awakened in his determination. Abner, because it's demoralizing accusation he is awakened in his conscience he's awakened his heart finally after all those years god got a hold of abner abner would not leave saul's employment because he was too caught up with his prestige and his position his rank but now he's realizing i've been following the wrong king i've been doing the wrong i've had the wrong motives i've been misleading people towards their affections their loyalty. i'm going the wrong direction he's awakened in his determination he realizes some things have to change notice in chapter 3 verses 9 to 12 notice first First of all, he's awakened in his decision. He's been falsely accused of this demoralizing accusation. And so Abner, notice in verse 9, he says, So do God to Abner, and more also, except as the Lord has sworn to David, even so I do to him. He's saying this, God already pointed, everyone in Israel already knew, David was the rightful man. He should have been the rightful man 13, 14 years ago. But, but for whatever reason, he never got to the throne until now. He said, even so, 
Do I to him to translate the kingdom from the house of Saul and to set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah from Dan even to Beersheba. And he goes out and he's awake in his decision. He realized that moment in time, I have followed the wrong king. I have had the wrong Lord. I have had the wrong king in my life. And he changes his whole mode. He realizes, what have I been thinking? What am I doing? And so he says, now I'm going to transfer the whole kingdom. Listen, the power and authority, the influence this man had to bring people over to David. And the Bible says in verse 11, the Ishbosheth, he could not answer Abner a word again because he feared him. And Abner sent messengers to David on his behalf, saying, Whose is the land? Saying also, Make thy league with me. Behold, my hand shall be with thee to bring about all Israel to thee. Listen, he's awakened in his decision. Listen to what I'm going to say this evening. He unreservedly chose David. He unquestionably chose David. He unequivocally chose David. He awakened in his decision. He said, listen, David is the only right king. He made the only right logical and, if you would, spiritual decision to make. He made David king. Watch this. David's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you tonight, brother, sister, Christ. Jesus Christ is the only righteous king. Jesus is the only one who should have my love. And Jesus Christ, the only one should have your love. And Jesus Christ is the only one who deserves our affection. He's the only king. He's the only righteous one. Listen, Choose Jesus. Choose Jesus as Lord of your life. Choose Jesus in your home. For me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Hey, it ought to be young people tonight. You've been standing between trying to decide which way to go. How long ought you between two opinions? Follow the Lord. Follow Jesus. Listen, your marriage is on the rocks and you're wondering, why is my marriage going here and there? You've halted between two opinions. Choose Jesus. You're having problems in your life. You're having frustrations and trials along the way and difficulties along the way. It might be because you've not made up your mind that Jesus is Lord. Decide tonight, Jesus is Lord. How long ought you to between two opinions? Just choose Jesus tonight. If you're not saved tonight, you're not 100% sure you're going to heaven. Take Jesus tonight to be your Savior. Choose Jesus tonight, Christian friend. Get off the, get off the middle line and stop vacillating your mind whether Jesus Christ is Lord. Take a big step of faith forward and obedience. Say, Christ is Lord. I've just said tonight, choose Jesus Christ tonight. Abner chose Jesus. Been serving the wrong king for 41 years. Can I tell you something tonight? It wasn't too late. It's not too late. He wasn't worried about what people were going to say. He led 40 years wondering what people would say. Hey, listen, too many of us live worrying about the opinion of other people. You know what really counts? I need to be worrying about what God thinks about my decision. Choose Jesus. It wasn't too late for Abner. It's not too late for you. Awakens decision. Notice verses 13 to 21. Notice he's absolute in his devotion. He sends these messengers in verse 12 to David. And he says, listen, who does the land belong to? Now, by way of that question, he's basically saying, David, you're king over everything. And I want you to notice some things about devotion tonight. You know, if you're not 100% faithful, you're not faithful. Pastor Brinkman, if you're only 90% faithful to Hera, is that being faithful? I don't think so. You know, if you're not 100% loyal, you're not loyal. And you watch this. He's all-inclusive in his devotion. Watch this. You read the passage here. Everything and everyone in his life was brought to David. Everything Abner had control. And listen, he had a lot of control. And some of us have a lot of control. He brought it all to David. David got Michael back. Michael was withheld from him. He got Michael back. 
He got all of Israel back. Nothing was held back from him. Devotion means we give it all. Devotion means nothing's held back. His devotion is all inclusive. Hey, that's our theme this year. All for Jesus. Listen, it's all inclusive. Nothing's held back. Nothing. Listen, he brought the soldiers. He brought the military. Read it with me tonight. And he said, well, I will make a league with thee. But one thing I require of thee, that is thou shalt not see my face, except thou first bring Michael, Saul's daughter, when thou comest to see my face. And David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, Saul's son, saying, deliver me my wife, Michael, which I espoused me for a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. And Ishbosheth said, and took her from her husband, even from Faltiel, the son of Laish. And her husband went with her along, weeping behind her to Bahru. By the way, whenever you give your devotion to the wrong person, it's always going to cost you. It's always going to break your heart. And Abner, in communication with the elders of Israel, said, you sought for David in times past to be king over you. Now then do it. Listen, devotion, true devotion is all-inclusive. Is Christ Lord of your life? Are you holding back? Are we holding back in our offerings? Are we holding back in our time? You're 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, 40. Listen to me tonight. Give Jesus your best years of your life. I'll wait till I've gotten, I'll wait till I get my MBA. I'll wait till I get my doctor's degree. I'll wait till I get this advancement career. You have wasted the best years of your life. Give him the best years of your life. Don't give him something that's old and decrepit. Don't give him something that's disabled. Don't give him something that he has to break down. Listen, give him the best years and the best health of your life. Listen, he's not only all-inclusive his devotion. Notice he's actively influential with his devotion. Look at verses 17 21. This is so incredible. I said something about this yesterday in our Sony challenge. Abner was a man who had great influence. And for the first time in 41, 42 years, he's using his influence in the right way. You see, as I said yesterday, influence is your ability and my ability to persuade people to do what we want them to do. Influence is your ability and my ability to persuade people to follow a certain direction, to do a certain deed. We all have influence in somebody's life, and we all have someone who influences our life. Nabri wasn't thinking about how many years he had left. He was just thinking now and then. He was saying, I've got to give my devotion, David, and that doesn't stop with me. He says, I've got to use my influence in the right way. Now he goes to all the elders of Israel. Notice the people he influences. Abner had communication, verse 70, with the elders of Israel. You know who the elders of Israel are? Those are the decision makers. Those are the talking heads. Those are the men who make or break the nation. He went to all the elders. He said, I know you sought for David in times past to be king over you. Notice verse 18. Now then do it. Then he goes on, he says, For the Lord has spoken to David, saying, By the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel out of the hands of the Philistines and out of the hands of all their enemies. He starts with the elders. And notice verse 19. He goes to the ears of all the tribe of Benjamin. This is, these are all his cousins and so forth there. And he says to them, he speaks in the ears, he goes to them, and Abner went also speak in the ears of David and Hebron. All this seemed good to Israel and all this seemed good to the whole land of Benjamin. And then in verse 20, he takes 20 men with him and he sees David and David sees him and David welcomes him. And David would have done this had he done this in the beginning. 
beginning, but Abner had his own insecurities about giving it all to David. And guess what David does? He makes him a feast. Hey, listen, you get all caught up and I get caught up because the devil implants in your mind and my mind. It's a bad thing to give Jesus everything. It's a bad thing to give Jesus your life. We think of all these things and what we're going to lose. Hey, don't think about what you're going to lose for Jesus. Think about what you gain when you give him everything. You got more than you started with. He brings these 20 men and David makes a feast. He says, I will rise and go and will gather all Israel to my Lord, the king, that they make a league with thee and that thou mayest reign over all that thy heart desire. Listen, Abner used his influence in the right way. He brought people to David. Listen, this evening, while you're saved and I'm saved, let's use our influence to bring people to Jesus Christ. Where's God put you? Who has God put in your life? He spoke well of David. Validated. He's the only right king. That's why, that's why testimonies are a good thing. They say, I love Jesus. That's why baptism is an ordinance of the Lord. An ordinance is a rule, a command. It's the first thing. And among those first things is to show that you're not ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we read that this morning in Romans chapter 10. Whosoever believes in them is not ashamed. To tell your brothers and sisters Christ you're not ashamed of Him. You take that next step of obedience and you follow the Lord's spiritual baptism by telling your brothers and sisters Christ, I'm not ashamed of Jesus. I love Jesus. He's my Savior. And I'm nervous, yes, but I'm not ashamed to tell people that Jesus is my Savior. He uses influence actively. He says, now then do it. He demonstrated he had stopped resisting, that he himself was all in for, for David. And he was all in with his loyalty and all in for Christ. And I'm just saying tonight, maybe tonight we've just been real hesitant and we, we've stopped because we're worried about our career, worried about what people say. And listen, tonight, how about step up by faith and just do what the Bible says. Delight thyself always to the Lord and he should direct your paths. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. How about we have a little bit of faith and trust and believe that God is more concerned about our future and our and our and our, our anxieties than we'll ever be. Hey, we've got to be like David during a time when his back was against the wall. He was uncertain about his future and his family, not all these fears. He said, I sought the Lord. He heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. And I think tonight a lot of us have a lot of fears about too many things that are all per- perceived in our mind as being re- realities, which in the, re- what the reality is we need to commit those fears to God and be anxious over nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication to let our requests be made known to God. How are you using your influence here? Who are you actively trying to bring to Jesus? He was awakened in his determination. He woke up in his decision. He was uh, absolute in his devotion. As we close to notice, Abner was applauded in his death. Now, you read to verse 21, and man, Abner's done everything right. He's corrected some things. He's, got, he's used his influence in the right way for the first time in 41 years. He's got all the elders and all the military and all of his tribe and all of his cousins and the entire nation. He said, hey, we're going to bring everybody over. He said, David, he says, I told those people, now then, do it. Don't wait and put it off. Do it now. Do it right now. He says, I'm going to make a, play, a, a, a league with all the nation. I'm going to tell the people, I'm going to gather all Israel to my Lord. He says, I'm going to do everything in my power to get people over to the king. I'm going to make sure that we have a unified kingdom. I'm going to make sure we do everything to have a kingdom that's all together. But let me tell you something tonight. If you decide you're going to let Jesus have everything. If you decide tonight that Jesus is completely Lord. 
There are going to be some who are going to oppose you. There are going to be some who are going to be against you. There are going to be some who are going to criticize you. There are going to be some that will disparage you. You see, if you're all inclusive of your devotion, you're going to have opposition. If you're helping influence other people to Jesus, you're going to have opposition. You're going to have enemies. And Joab is not there when David has his big feast and has Adversity sit at the banqueting table, which is basically symbolic, was just symbolically saying, Adversity, you're accepted the kingdom. And he says, I'm not really sure what you got in mind, but the fact you brought 20 ambassadors here, you're welcome at my table. And he, every time David did that, he's just like the Lord says, he says, listen, you come with open hands. I receive you just the way you are. And Joab was not there. And later on, when Joab comes back from whatever Joab was doing, so where he gets to Joab, he said, Joab, you got to hear about this. Abner came, and we know Abner's your enemy. And you got to bear in mind, Joab is still seething inside him. He's very angry inside that, that Abner had killed his brother Asahel. Several months ago, I preached a message from this on a Wednesday night about the, ter- about the subject of grudges. You might want to go back in the archives and listen. I don't have time to preach that in this series again, but you might want to go back and listen to that message. And Joab was carrying a grudge in his heart against Abner. He never forgave Abner for what he did. He held in his heart one thing. Me and Abishai are going to kill Abner for what he did. We're going to catch up with Abner one day. And he hears that Abner came, and Abner makes his league with David. And Ad, Joab is very upset. you got to bear in mind, Joab was really not the right right general for David, but whatever reason, just like with Abner, Joab was a cousin to David, and so David made him the general over his army. Joab had proven himself on the battlefield many, many times. And so Joab comes, and he's just really, really concerned about the situation, and he doesn't really want Abner to, to have this loyalty to David. And, and uh, notice some things here. Joab comes to him, and notice what happens here. The Bible says in verse 22, Behold, the servants of David and Joab came from pursuing a troop and brought in a great spoil with them. But Abner was, was not with David in Hebron, for he had sent him away and he was gone in peace. Now, he'd been sent away in peace. There was peace between David and Abner. By the way, listen, if, you're, if Jesus doesn't have everything, there's always going to be this unsettlement in your heart. You're not going to have peace until he has it all. And when he gave it all to David, he sent him away in peace. And notice verse 20, 23, when Joab and all the hosts that was with them, they were come. They told Joab, saying, Abner, the son of Ner, came to the, day, came to the king. And he sent him away, and he's gone in peace. Notice verse 24, true loyalty and devotion will always be challenged. They're going to be challenged by people that you think should be on your side. And Joab came to the king, and he said, what has thou done? Now listen, he was out of his place. He got in David's face and instead of saying, King, is there anything I could do? He said, what do you think you're doing, King? Behold, Abner came to thee. Why is it thou sent him away? And he's quite gone. Listen, anytime there's decisions for Christ that arrive, it's always going to be challenged. Parents, your kids make a decision for God. You're gonna, your, your parental instincts kind of kick in and the devil starts to play with it. And you're going to challenge that decision. We're going to have some, we're going to have some kids and even adults in our church who are kind of sideways on things and you kind of wonder, wonder if they'll ever get it together. And one day they're going to listen to the preaching of God's word and God's been working on and working on and working on. And one day they make the right decision. But those of us who've seen what they wore, we get a little bit suspicious about that and we think, well, that'll, that won't last very long. And we start challenging that decision when we need to put our arms around and say, hey, praise the Lord, let me help you along the way, man. Chulo and his devotion are always challenged. By the way, Satan challenged Job's devotion when he came to God's presence. He says, does, God, does Job fear God for not? Satan's always challenging your devotion to the Lord. Notice verse 25, true loyalty and devotion will be criticized and disparaged. He said in verse 25, Thou knowest Abner, the son of Ner, that he came to deceive thee, and to know thy going out and thy coming in, and to know all that thou doest. Now, he was making up some things, which you need to look this up later on. Proverbs 17, 20 says this, that the wicked never see any good. And Joab had a wicked heart. 
as we'll read through Second Samuel. And Joab, instead of saying, well, David, what do you think about this situation? Is he really for real? And, and you know, whatever you want, I'm for David. But instead of that, he says, look at this man, Abner. He says, you know, he came to deceive you and to know that. And, you know, to thy going out of the country, he was basically criticizing, disparaging the great decision Abner had made. Notice something else here. True loyalty, devotion is steadfast until death. He had been criticized. He had been challenged. So notice Joab took matters in his hand. Joab said, listen, I'm not going to allow this guy to conflict with me. I'm not going to allow him to kind of interfere with me or or to be basically uh, to take my place. And he goes up and he finds out where Abner is. He goes up to him and he walks up. And Abner doesn't have any pretense in his heart. Abner doesn't feel threatened by Joab. You know why? He didn't feel threatened by anything because he got his heart right with the king. And he knew if his heart was right with the king, he didn't have any, he didn't feel any pretense or or, 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 or discouragements about, about, about Joab when he should have. And Joab comes up to him and he doesn't see that Joab, that Joab has a sword in his right hand. As he does so, Joab thrusts it right underneath the fifth rib. Exactly the same place where Esau was killed. Nabber falls to the ground. He wallowed in his blood. And he dies there. He just got it right. I don't think my wife will mind sharing this. My wife's younger brother had a younger brother by the name of Peter. Church that got saved and Peter was the church song leader at 19. He was a great song leader. Not taking anything from our song. We've got great song, but Peter was a great song leader. Peter could sing. The whole Shao family was musically inclined. Peter's our song leader. And I, I just gotten saved. Something happened to church. Peter listened to wrong voices. Peter got a little disenchanted. And also, I don't think my wife will mind me saying this. Peter got a little bit away from the Lord, just like some of us do. Something happens. We listen to wrong voices. Instead of checking it out and just give it to God, we let our feelings get in the way. Peter was about 22, 23 years old. He graduated from UC Berkeley. He's a geologist, I think, right? Was he a geologist? What, what was he? Physicist. He was like his father, very, very smart. Very, very, very scientific. But Peter was such a down-to-earth guy. You could get in a room with Peter, and he could take a very down moment and make everybody laugh. He's just one of those guys. He's just a bubbly person. People love Peter. Peter got away from the Lord. and We don't know exactly what happened, but Peter, after several months, got things right, came back to church, started getting back involved again. Joy of the Lord's all over him. Peter got this job. He was working for, I think, for Lawrence Livermore Lab, and he was he was driving a truck down in Gilroy. And if some of you've been to Gilroy, there's a couple of these these uh, two lane highways in Gilroy that are very very dangerous highways here. And we don't know exactly what happened. Nobody really knows the story there, but somehow Peter was in the truck and it had an accident. It threw him. He got thrust out of the truck, and the truck rolled over him and killed him instantly. That happened was on a Friday afternoon. young person was coming to club meetings that night. People were crying. I asked, asked the girls, I said, why are you crying? Some of my, 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 my friends, the, the guys I was with, I said, why is everybody crying? What's going on? I came on a van to the church and you didn't hear? I said, no. Peter died. I said, what do you mean Peter died today? I started asking different people and got all the story together there. Peter just got it right. 
what a reason the Lord took him home. It was a very hard moment for my wife's family and the whole church that time. And Abner was like that. It was a time of celebration. Abner got things right. Unreservedly, David was king. He was all-inclusive in his devotion. He was actively influential with devotion. He brought people to David. He just wanted David to know, David, listen, I made the wrong choices all my life. For 41 years, I've made the wrong choice, but now I'm going to make the right choice, and I've made the right choice. And along the way, he didn't see it coming, but somehow his life was taken away from him. And notice this. David applauds him at his death. Now, I want you to see some things, and we're done tonight. Number one, as David gets word that what happened there, notice the Bible says, says this. Verse 27, when Abner was returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside to the gate to speak with him quietly, and he smote him there under the fifth rib that he died for the blood of Asa's brother. Jo- Joab took justice in his own hands and took revenge in his hand. And the Bible says afterwards in verse 28, when David heard it, he said, I and my kingdom are guiltless before the Lord forever from the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. Let it rest on the head of Joab and on all his father's house, and let there not fall from the house of Joab one that has the issue, or one that has a leper, and one that leaneth on his staff, or the that falls on the sword of the lack of bread. Now, I don't have time to unwind all that for you, but here's what he's saying. David was condemning the treacherous acts of Joab. Well, look up here tonight. Let me see this. We're almost done. You know, there's some things God still condemns that are wrong. God still condemns gossip. God still condemns strife and contention within the body of Christ. God still condemns, God still condemns being having a critical spirit and being disparaging. God condemns, by the way, bitterness and wrath and grudges and anger and unforgiveness. God condemns all of those things. And listen, all of that's all bowled up in joy because all of those things, he had bitterness, he had wrath, he had anger, he had unforgiveness in his heart. All that was bundled up inside, he was filled with wrath and anger. And he, and he dreamed of the day that he can get a hold of Abner. And the day came and he took his sword and he thrust in him. Listen, David, when he made this statement, he's saying, I, I'm, I'm guiltless before this. I had nothing to do with this. He made a public proclamation. He got before the whole nation and said, let it be upon the household of Joab. He's publicly saying what Joab did was wrong. And I want to tell you tonight, brother and sister in Christ, when we have a bad spirit and we live with bitterness and anger and wrath in our hearts and these sins of the spirit, God still condemns that in his word. He calls it grieving the spirit of God. But notice something else. He not only condemns Joab's action, but notice he commends Abner's devotion. You know who's the one that eulogizes Abner's life? It's David. And he says this in verse 38. The king said to his servants, Know you not that there is a prince and a great man fallen this day in Israel? He was David's enemy when David became king. By the way, David was never his enemy, but Abner made himself his enemy. And David says, Know you not that today a prince... The great man is fallen in Israel. He commends this man. He commends him that he made a voluntary decision to pledge his entire loyalty to David. He commends him that he's actively influential in bringing people. You know what pleases God? Watch this. Loving God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. You know what pleases God? Using your life as a light and salt to bring others to him. That's what pleases God. And he's saying, don't you not that a prince... And a leader and a great man has fallen this day. He wasn't great because he was captain of Saul's souls. He was great because he gave his loyalty to the right king. And I'm saying tonight as we close this evening, this man, Abner, in the latter days of his life, he did the right thing. He did it before it was too late. By the way, I said this this evening. His name means my father is a lamp or the father of light. And tonight, as we look at these very last things that are said about Abner, you know, he creates a path for us and he says, follow the light. Follow the pathway. 
Follow the right pathway. Take the high road in life. Do, do the right thing. Do the truthful thing. Do the honest thing. Do the right thing. Give God the glory. Listen, you'll never make a bad decision by giving all your loyalty to Jesus Christ. Follow the path. What would the Lord say about us when we stand before Him one day? About our devotion. About our loyalty. Maybe we're like Abner, we're kind of standing in the middle and we're vacillating about a lot of things. We've created these ispasheths in our heart. That deep down inside we know they're the wrong choices. It might have to be we come to in a demoralizing situation like Abner came into to realize that was the wrong choice. That was the wrong king. That was the wrong loyalty. Follow the light. It's never too late to get it right. Follow the light. It's never too late to get it right. Father, tonight we thank you this evening for the life of Abner. And though for 41 years he was very challenged in his decisions, very confused, very insecure because he was more concerned about his rank than he was about righteousness. He was more concerned about his position than he did about principles. And his beliefs were so twisted. But there came a time, Lord, when he got it right. He was all-inclusive in his devotion. And he was actively influential in his influence. Please help us tonight, Lord. All of us have an Ishbosheth that we've been given more attention to. We've given our loyalty to, which is a puppet king. Spare us tonight out of your mercy from a rude awakening that tells us, even though we've heard it tonight, that there may be a wrong king we're pursuing. There's something else, there's somebody else on the throne other than the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray this evening for a congregation that has absolute devotion to Jesus. Love Jesus with all their heart and all their soul and all their mind. God, deliver us from being so covetous. We value our titles, our positions, our rank, our notoriety over our relationship with you. And should we have to start all over again, Lord, help us tonight to come under the realization it's our relationship with you, to know you, that you are God. And not let the wise man glory in his wisdom, and the rich man glory in his witches, but let him that glory glory in this, that you are the Lord. And to know you, the power of your resurrection, even if it meant the fellowship of your sufferings, even if it meant being made conformable to his death. Father, pray all around the room tonight that Instead of killing the spirit, we crucify the flesh tonight. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet that I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Father, forgive us for quenching the spirit. Forgive us times where we've grieved the spirit and where we've resisted the spirit. May tonight we sense that Asahel was hot on the trail of Abner. May we sense tonight the spirit is speaking to us. We stop putting them off. We give it all to Jesus. To be absolute in our devotion. Take away our fears. 
Take away our paranoias. Take away our wrong perceptions. Lord, help us to stop listening to the voice of Satan. Listen to the voice of God tonight. Today, the Bible says you'll hear his voice. Harden not your heart as in the provocation, as the day of temptation. Have your way tonight, Lord, just as you did in Abner's heart. What a pathway he sets for us. He gives us light for our path. We see clearly tonight where perhaps where there have been other kings other than Christ. Christ alone must have the authority in our life. Help us tonight. Your young people struggling with that. Families struggling with that. Successful people in the career struggling with that. Even people in the ministry struggling with that. Lord, whatever it may be tonight, we give it all to you this evening. Even as Saber said, now then, do it. Now tonight, Lord, we're going to do it. If someone here tonight is not saved, I pray they take Jesus as their Savior. I pray they accept Christ tonight and call upon the Lord to save them from their sins and have that 100% assurance that they know they're going to heaven. Tonight, have your way. This evening, the majority of us need to make sure that Christ is sovereign. He has complete control this evening. Help us to be uninhibited now. They lay it all on the altar. Let God have control. We commit this to you this evening in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me? Heads bowed and eyes closed. You come tonight as the Lord's spoken to you. Is there an Ishbosheth that's in control that you need to give to acknowledge to God? Abner made a public proclamation. He said, now then, do it. Do you need to do it now? Young person, what are you struggling about? Families, what are we struggling about? Is God speaking to you about the mission field? Is God speaking to you about getting out of your comfort zone and serving Him? How about tonight? Let's get out of our comfort zone and now then do it, as even Abner said. Would you do it now? The struggle is going on. A lot of our struggles are because we're just not letting the Lord have control. Let Him have control. Put to death that Ishbosheth. He's a man of shame. Don't let Ishbosheth have control. Let the David, let the, the Lord Jesus Christ have control. Would you be all inclusive? Is something holding back? Is your job in the way? Your finances in the way? People in the way? I mean, whatever it is, let's put it aside and be like Abner. Now then do it. Make an allegiance to bring all of us. By the way, tonight, I think for all of us, how, what are we doing to use our influence to bring people to Jesus? Are you bringing people to Christ? How many people are we trying to touch with the gospel? Are you actively influential? I think a lot of us tonight need to pledge this summer. I'm going to make the summer time. I'm going to be actively influential in getting the gospel to people. Would you come tonight? Let's make it our decision this evening. Come this evening. Father, this evening as we are praying and contemplating in our hearts what you're doing, thank you tonight that the best choice in life is to choose Jesus. To choose Jesus as Savior. Choose Jesus as Lord. Jesus as King. Father, thank you. There's some rich nuggets this evening we see out of Abner's life. And the takeaway in the latter end of his life certainly overshadows some of the questionable decisions, the bad choices he had early on. God, help us this evening that we know when we choose right, we'll have the bravery, we'll have the brilliance. God, will have the right attitude and things. This evening, have control. Settle every decision here at the altar and at the pew. Father, a moment dismisses with your blessing. Thank you for what you're doing. Some might need to get saved tonight. Before they leave tonight, I pray they get saved. And we thank you for what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank Pastor.